All right, Doxa Church, grab your Bibles and find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, all right? And as you, as you get there, let me just start off by saying this. Doxa, I just love you, all right? I, I really do. I, I love this church family. I love all that God is, is doing in, with, and through us here in Madison. I love walking through the everyday stuff of life with you, because, um, and I love being your pastor. And outside of being like a husband and a father, like it's my highest honor to, to be a pastor at this church. And so thanks for loving Jesus and people so well. Um, I, especially my family, guys, it's just, it's a blessing to be part of the Doxa Church family. And I woke up thinking about that. It was swirling around my head. So I thought rather than just keep it in there, I just throw it to, to you guys. But if you are new to Doxa, let me just tell you this. I, I love you too. And before that weirds you out and you're like, man, I, you don't even know me. How do you, how do you love me? I, I don't maybe know you yet, but I will say this is I know this for a fact. God loves you. I love God. And so I love you too. All right. And welcome to Doxa. I hope to get a chance to meet you if I haven't had a chance to do that yet. But here's where we're at today. Okay. After eight months of studying the letter of first Corinthians, we've reached the last 11 verses. All right, guys, we did it. Eight months. Anybody here for the whole journey? We lost some people. Okay, <laughs> no, you, get it. you did it. Okay. But uh, guys, the last 11 verses, and as we get into this today, all right, here's what Paul's doing. Paul is really just in conclusion mode, and he's getting very practical, very helpful. And in these last 11 verses, Paul just kind of gives us like a rapid fire series of practical things to help the people in Corinth live faithfully with God in their everyday stuff of life. And while this was written to a very specific group of Christians in a very specific time with very specific things going on with them, here's what I want to remind you of. We've talked about this a lot, but guys, this letter, all of Scripture, is very timely and timeless for us. That what we're going to get into today and what we've got into over the last eight months has been just so applicable to our lives here in Madison. But let me just remind you of, of kind of like what's been happening in Corinth as Paul is writing this letter. So remember from week one, like Corinth was just this booming city, this metropolitan city that it was just growing crazy. The population was going nuts. And you had basically two emerging groups of people. You had a lower class people that were following this guy named Jesus of Nazareth, and they were growing very rapidly. But then you also had this, this other group of people that was more of an upper class tier that weren't following Jesus, but were just following the ways of culture, and this group was growing rapidly as well. And what happened in Corinth is that these two groups of people collided. And when they collided, they didn't just kind of bounce off each other and repel from each other, but what they did was as they hit and collided, they overlapped. And as this happened, many Christians started living in the overlap. And the church became more like the culture. And it was causing a lot of issues in the church. And people were drifting. As they lived in the overlap, they were drifting away from God and his plan for their lives. And guys, this is so similar to what has happened in our world today. Church and culture collide, and many Christians find themselves living in the overlap, kind of floundering through life and drifting away from God. But God really wants to help us today. And Paul wants to help us understand this. And so let's just read this. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll pick up where we left off last week, which is verse 13. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. 
Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achai, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints to be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaius, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa, together with the churches in their, the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, and so this is what we got. Okay, as Paul ends this letter... All right, he gives us seven things to take hold of. All right, so I have a seven-point sermon for you today. My seminary professors would be terrified by that, and maybe it's not going to go good. So if it doesn't go good, you can send me an email, and we'll pivot next week, okay? But seven things that I see just a wonderful summary of what God intends for you and me as the family of God. And he gives us seven essential and practical things that are just so incredibly helpful for us to live lives for the glory of God in the good of Madison. All right, so if you're here and you're in a place as a Christian and you want to have a vibrant relationship with God, all right, if you're here and you're in a place where you want to have just a joy-filled walk with God, there's seven things that need to be true of your life. And the first four things that Paul shares come in verse 13. All right, look, Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. All right, so the first thing is this, all right, Paul says to be watchful, all right, and this phrase literally means to, to be awake or on alert or just vigilant, and it's used some 22 times in the New Testament. All right, for example, if you look at Acts chapter 20, all right, the Apostle Paul, he urges the uh, elders in Ephesus to be on alert for false teachers that will really just come into the church, they'll derail Christians and confuse their beliefs, and they'll walk away from God. In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus, he says basically the same thing, to stay alert and watch our lives. Because we don't know when the day will come, when the end will come, and he will come back. And so he says, stay alert. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 5, says to stay alert and be watchful because Satan and temptation and sin are very real, and they will destroy our lives and our walks with God. So with all this, Paul says, be watchful. And here's what you need to know. All right, Doctor, if you don't know this, this will be an eye-opener for you. But we live in a world where there is a battle raging. Paul shares a little bit more about this in Ephesians chapter 6, that this battle that we live in is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in our world. And so, Doxa, you just need to know that you have an enemy. All right, and it's not people. All right, it's not your neighbor whose dog pees in your yard and they're Cubs fans or whatever, okay? It's not that. But our enemy is God's enemy, Satan, who has been trying to destroy and distort God's creation since the very beginning. And we, if you know your Bible, you know at the end of the story, God wins, praise the Lord, but until Jesus comes back, we need to understand that our enemy is very present, sin is very real, and they will destroy our lives and our walk with God. And this is the understanding that Paul had as he writes this. 
And he knows this reality, and he knows the reality that many Christians live in an ignorant way towards this. And so he reminds the Christians in Corinth and us to simply be watchful. Right? And as we've been watching these Christians in Corinth, we've, we've seen how they're not watchful at all, right? I mean, they were led away from God by, by Satan, sin, culture, the wisdom of the world. The Corinthians, like many people today, they were so easily influenced away from God. And Paul is reminding them and us that it is so easy to slip into sin and worldly wisdom and a life that is not about the things of God. And if we're not watchful, all of that will deteriorate our lives and our relationship with God. Because here's the truth. Doxa, sin is very sneaky. Do you know that? Have you experienced that? It's very, very sneaky. That no matter how godly we are, how godly you think you are, sin is still a very real part of every single one of our lives. And if we are not watchful, sin can just easily come in, take over, and lead us away from God, and we might not even notice it at first. Have you been there? Have you experienced that? I, I kind of think of it like this, okay? You go to the beach, right? And you show up on the beach, you have your towel, you put it down, and you decide to go out in the water. And you're just floating around in the water for a couple hours, and you're like, okay, it's time to go back to my towel. And you turn around and you look, and your towel is gone. You're like, someone stole my towel. And then you realize, no, you've just drifted a mile down the beach. And you didn't even know you were moving but you drifted. Guys, this is what sin does. Sin is like that. We might not even feel like we're we're moving. It's affecting us, but then we kind of look back and realize that we have drifted so far away. And some of you here today, you don't recognize it, but you're drifting away from God because you're not watchful. All right, oftentimes, Many times, guys, sin doesn't just come into our lives out of nowhere and take us out. But it's a very slow progression oftentimes. And what I see in the Bible is that it oftentimes starts in our minds. Right? If you think back to months ago when we were studying Genesis, you go back to the Garden of Eden with the first of humanity. Satan shows up on the scene. He starts messing with God's creation, Adam and Eve. And how did he do it? Do you remember? He messed with their thought life. He got in their head and he asked them, did God really say that? And they started asking questions and maybe God's not good and and it started in their minds. And as their thoughts got messed up, their actions got messed up and their destiny got messed up. Doctor, here's the progression. This is why Paul says to be watchful. Listen, this is how I see it. We need to watch our thoughts because our thoughts become words. We watch our words for they become actions. We watch our actions, for they become habits. We watch our habits, for they become character. And we watch our character, for it becomes your destiny. This is the progression. This is why Paul says to be watchful. This is what he says in Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. And this is why he tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Doxa, Paul knows the world we live in and the reality of sin and our tendency to drift, and he's simply just helping us. He's being a really good pastor, 
a really good friend to us today because this is so important. He says, be watchful, pay attention, recognize that you have an enemy, recognize that sin is very real, it's serious, and be watchful so you don't drift away from God. Now the second thing that he says is this, look back at verse 13, stand firm in the faith. All right, and I just want you to notice, look back at the wording. Paul says, the faith. All right, and this is, this is significant. Notice he doesn't say your faith. And Doc said, anytime I can remind you of this, I'm gonna take the opportunity, okay? But listen, it's not about you. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus and his gospel. That the gospel that brought you salvation is the same gospel that will allow you to stand firm in the midst of a very sinful world. It's always about Jesus. And when he says the faith, this faith that he's speaking of is not the faith of trusting, but the faith of truth. He's talking about the content of the gospel. And this is really significant for us to understand because the Corinthians, like many Christians today, were doing what Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter four, where he talks about being, people being carried away by every wind of doctrine that the Corinthians would not take a firm stand on so many things because they were believing the thought that there really is no truth, right? And everything is more or less relative or tentative. And if you think about our world, guys, this is the same as our world today. We're not that different. Humanity just goes around the same cul-de-sac. We do the same thing over and over and over again. And today, many people, even Christians, will still assert that there's no absolute truth and that everything is more or less relative. But Paul is saying, in light of the resurrection of chapter 15, we actually now know that there is an absolute truth. And his name is Jesus, and he proved it by raising from the dead. And so Paul says, stand firm and don't let the world tear you away from the truths of God. And so when he says, And he's talking about standing firm in the faith. He's talking about doctrine. And so while Satan cannot tear us away from saving faith, he can and he oftentimes does obscure the content of our faith and the truths of God. And if we don't hold firm to the truths of Scripture, we will, just like the Corinthians, how they started doing this, will slip into wrong thinking, which will lead to wrong beliefs, which will lead to wrong behavior, and we'll find ourselves very far from the will of God. Have you seen this happen to people? Because maybe you've lived this at some point in your life. It happens all the time. People encounter God. They put their faith in Jesus. They start walking with Jesus. They're knowing his truths. And then they show up on campus. And they encounter some really smart people, some really smart professors. And they're influenced in an opposite direction of God by people that don't love God. Because this happens all of the time. And I'll even say this, guys, as a church that loves the next generation, we are here in Madison surrounded by thousands of college students. And in just a few days, there's going to be thousands of freshmen that come into the city and move on to campus at UW. And a lot of these freshmen are going to be in a place where they've met Jesus. They were part of a youth group and a church, and they had friends, and they're going to come here trying to follow Jesus. And they're going to step on campus and realize they're one of the few. And they're going to have professors that are going to mock God and they're going to influence them. And they are going to be tempted to stray. And we don't even know who these Christians are and we might not even meet them. But guys, as the body of Christ, we pray for our brothers and sisters. And so I would just say, guys, in this next couple weeks, 
be praying hard for these incoming students, that they would love Jesus, that they would find community, that they would find the salt company or another ministry that loves Jesus so that they're not alone, that they would not turn their back on God. Guys, we need to pray. Pray for these students that are coming here. Because this is what happened to the Corinthians. They found themselves just influenced and they drifted. We saw this in chapter one, right? These Christians are being influenced by unbelieving people around them. They started to think that the faith that saved them, the Jesus that they followed was just all foolishness. And human philosophy and wisdom just obliterated their view of God and his word. And Doc said, this can so easily happen to all of us today. And so stand firm. Now, how do we do that? Because I'll tell you one thing, this is what it requires of us. We must be, if you want to stand firm in the faith, we must be well taught in the word of God, knowing the truths of God. You need to know the Bible. And this is one of the reasons why we seek to be a Bible-saturated church, right? That if you prick us, we bleed Bible, right? And I say that all the time, and you're like, wow, he just thinks that's a really cool. No, I do that because I want us to know the truth. The goal is us not to be in like trivia leagues and win trophies or anything like that with Bible contests. The goal is for us to walk faithfully with God and to walk closely with him, holding on to his truth until we show up in eternity in glory with him. Stand firm. And so verse 13 again, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And the third thing that Paul says that Christians need to do is this, act like men, okay? So what does that mean, right? Because some of you ladies are probably like, I don't know, what do I, I gotta grow a beard, get a truck, drink Budweiser, shoot some stuff, like what do, you know, what do I do with that, right? So, but here's what you need to know, because it's important for us to understand that Paul is not contrasting masculinity and femininity here. All right, what he's doing is he's actually contrasting full grownness and childlikeness. We saw this same language in chapter 13, verse 11, where Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And so when Paul says to act like men, he's speaking about the basic idea of maturity. And as he was telling the Corinthians to do this, to be mature, he was essentially just saying, live in a way that you have not been living. Because if you think back to it, the The Corinthian Christians were very, very immature, and Paul was constantly addressing that. Chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 13, chapter 14, all throughout the letter, they were very immature, and it was leading to all kinds of problems in their church. They were arguing with each other, they were gossiping, they were choosing sides, they were getting easily offended, they were suing each other, they were living in crazy ways, very selfishly. They were just acting like children rather than living like Jesus. And Doxa, one of my regular prayers for Doxa Church is that we would be a church family who is spiritually mature. But here's what this means, okay? Maturity is not just you knowing a bunch of stuff. I mean, the truth is, guys, I know a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible. They've they've memorized a lot of verses, memorized a lot of passages, and they're some of the most immature people I've ever met in my life. And the truth is, this was me in my 20s. I knew a ton of theology, but was very immature. But I want you to hear this, Doxa. The pathway to Christian maturity isn't just about becoming a more knowledgeable person, but becoming a more obedient person. 
You get the difference there? Christians are so good at just learning a bunch of stuff and filling up our heads and doing the mm thing, right? And writing in your journal and taking a picture on Instagram and then you walk out and you don't do anything about it. It's about obedience. All right, this book, guys, the Christian life is not about mastering this book. It's about letting this book master you. Obedience. Hearing the word of God and doing it. This is a huge thing with maturity. Obedience to God and his word. And I would encourage you at Connection Group this week, talk about this. Talk about it. Open up your lives and just say, yeah, I'm not doing it or I am doing it. Here's how I do it. And help each other learn to follow Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, you hear this stuff and you're like, obedience, maturity, for sure. We, we know that's important. But you know as well as I do that this is really hard, right? Am I the only one? It's pretty hard to follow Jesus and be obedient, right? This is a godly church. Praise the Lord. I, I need to have... It's tough. Guys, and I don't know about you, but man, I, I'll get in the Word and I'll think about it and I'll read about it and I'll meditate on it and I'll pray through it and I'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, day to day, I mean, sometimes I just don't feel like I have the strength to do it and to be obedient. And this is why I love what Paul says next. Verse 13 again, be strong. And I love this one because it's not what you think, all right? God gives us strength to live out these things that Paul is laying out for us. But that strength that Paul is talking about is not strength that comes from within us, but it's a strength that comes to us and moves through us. All right, Paul was not at all interested in how much the Corinthians could power clean, all right? Guys, he wasn't, a, he wasn't concerned with the gains, right? He didn't care about that. What he cared about was this strength that God gives He explained this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, where he says he wanted them to be strengthened with power through God's Spirit in their innermost being. And we know from Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us as Christians, and this is a Spirit of power. And so the Christian is empowered to continue doing and living the way that Jesus did. And so it's not us white-knuckling it and trying really, really hard to be Christians. This is not the Christian life. This is God empowering us to live like him. How Do you guys ever pray and just ask God to strengthen you? You do that? Ask him to like help you be, have the power to live like Jesus. Do you ask that? I'll be honest with you. This is like a prayer like every single day, multiple times a day for me. And I don't know if it's just because I'm, I know how weak of a man I am, but I am constantly asking God for strength. God, help me be obedient. God, empower me to love my wife and my kids well. God, give me strength to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Do you ask him for that? I mean, I was, one of the verses, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 16, is, is a verse that I've been praying and just asking God for. God says to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. It's the power of God living in us. This is the Christian life. Our Christian life is, is not just me living like Jesus as a thank you for saving me, but the Christian life is Jesus taking up residence in me by the Holy Spirit and living his resurrection life through me. Our strength comes by looking to the Lord. Ask him, Doxa. And so Paul says, verse 13, be watchful, 
stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. And if we were to stop there, it sounds like he's a drill sergeant, right? Just be strong, act like men, get your stuff together. And it's like we can just, I guess we're supposed to go take over the world and just grit our teeth and puff out our chest and just go, right? No, verse 14, look at this. Let all that you do be done in love. This is the fifth thing that Paul gives us. And guys, this really just distills the entire letter of 1 Corinthians into one single sentence. Let all that you do be done in love. Doxa, it's love. And if we think back to chapter 13, the great love chapter of the Bible, we remember that love is meant to hold everything together that Paul has been talking about. There's a pastor named Charles Swindoll. This is how he talks about it, and I quote, He says, without love, you will not be watchful and discerning, but rather narrow and suspicious. If you stand firm without love, you will be an isolated fanatic, ugly in temperament and intolerant towards the lost. Without love to balance your maturity, you will be critical, judgmental, and harsh. And if you are strong yet not have love, you will lack the tenderness that will attract others to your bridled strength. Love holds it all together. In fact, you think about Jesus and his words in John 13, 35. He says, everybody will know you're my disciples by your what? Your love. So, Doctor, how are you loving? Is love a mark of your life? Again, ask the people around you in your connection group. Get in the car with your friend, your spouse, and just ask, like, do you see the love of God in me? And I know some of you guys are terrified to ask your wife that. I asked my wife that this week. But guys, this is part of being a Christian. What are we doing? Are we playing games and just flying a flag, but there's nothing to show for it? Or are we actually trying to live like Jesus for the sake of the world? I pray that God helps this to be a marker of Doxa Church that we love very, very well. Now look at verse 15. All right, the sixth thing that Paul shares is in the context of talking about a few different people, a few leaders in the church. Here's what he says. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achai, and that they devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches in Asia send you greetings, Aquila, Prissa, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All right, here's what Paul does here. He just talks about several godly people who were well known to the Corinthians. And as he does this, he shows us the sixth thing that he desires to be true for those people who are following Jesus and part of the church, that we would be people that are marked by humble submission. Humble submission, all right? And, and I know that the word submission, we don't tend to like that, right? Because it makes us feel like we're out of control. But guys, this is what Paul is going to show us. Look how he talks about these godly men and women who are part of the Corinthian church. Verse 16, he says, be subject to such as these. Verse 18, he says, give recognition to these people. Respect these people. And here's what we need to understand. All right, Paul's basically saying, follow these types of people. All right, Paul's saying, if they're godly, they're doing the work of the Lord, then respect them, submit to them, learn from them, follow them, try to be like them. 
And this is what Paul had in mind in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Like, follow me as I follow Christ. Docs, a humble submission is a key theme of a spirit-filled, Jesus-loving person. Because the truth is, every Christian is called to humbly submit to each other. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so very practically, here's what this means. As Christians, we need these type of men and women in our lives to help us become more like Jesus and learn and grow in faith. We need people like Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and Aquila and Priscilla. All right, so guys, it's, it's not about you. Like if you're trying to love Jesus and do it all on your own, isolated around nobody, like you, you're trying hard, but you're doing it in a very unbiblical way. God has created us to be in community. This is the church, to help each other. And so very practically, you should find a godly man in a go- or a godly woman who knows and loves God, who live their lives for God, who are following the will of God, who are fighting sin, who are doing the work of the Lord, who are loving like Jesus, and we should make that person our pattern of Christian living as we follow Jesus. Do you have people like that in your life that you're looking to? I mean, we do that in every other aspect of our lives, right? I mean, you're at, a, you're at your job and you're like, oh man, that guy's really good at what he does. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow him and imitate him and be like him. And you're, you're always around him and you're trying to learn from him. This is what we should be doing in our faith is finding those godly men and women and looking to them and submitting to them and following them. Guys, this is discipleship. The process of helping each other become more and more like Jesus. This is the great commission of Jesus in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. Teach them to know and obey Jesus. And this happens as we follow God's word and we're around God's people. And as we follow and submit to these godly men and women that are leading us, they help us to change and to become more like Jesus that we can grow in maturity in love And that our lives can then become a pattern that other people can look after. Guys, this is, you see it? This is discipleship. This is how the church is supposed to live. And the bottom line is this, is that Paul wanted the selfish, unsubmissive Corinthians to submit to the example of these godly men and women just as he continually submitted himself to Jesus and his example. So Doxa, we're called to humbly submit to those who are godly, submitting their lives to Jesus, are doing the work of the Lord, and we're to look to them as our help and our example as we grow and become more and more like Jesus so then people could do that for us. So the last thing is this, all right? How do you think Paul is gonna end this letter? You've been learning about Paul. How do you think he's gonna end this? I mean, you saved the best for last, right? Four verses, three verses, four times, Jesus. Paul mentions Jesus. He start, or he ends where he started, and it's all about Jesus. And as he communicates this, as he ends the letter in this way, here's what it is. The seventh thing, keep it all about Jesus. Because if you're trying to figure out what the Christian life is all about, it's about Jesus. If you're trying to figure out how to be a godly man or a woman, it's about Jesus. Don't confuse this, it's always about Jesus. And here's how he says it. It's kind of an interesting way, actually. Look at verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. 
Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, so here's how he ends and what he tells these people. He basically just looks at the Corinthians and he says, okay, you're in the church. Jesus loves you. I love you. But here's the big question. Do you love Jesus? And this is the question that I want to ask you today. Do you love Jesus? The most important question that you will ever answer with your life. It's what your life is about. And if you're here and honestly you're like, no, I don't. I just want you to know you are always welcome at Doxa Church. It was not that many years ago that I sat in that, church, that, that seat and said, no, I don't. And one of the highest honors I have is to teach you the Bible, and I love that you're here. But if you would say, no, I don't love Jesus, Paul just says you need to realize that a curse is on you. But if you're here today and you haven't repented of sin and put your faith in Jesus, I just need you to know that you're not in a good spot with God. Your sin has separated you from God. You're actually an enemy of God, not a child of God. And while there is a great reason to sing today, you don't have that reason yet. And I need to just be honest with you and tell you this because I love you. And you just need to know that sin is a serious thing. And if you haven't repented of sin and turned to Jesus, which is the only way we find forgiveness in heaven and eternal life and salvation and reconciliation with God, if you haven't done that, then the curse of sin is on you. And that curse might not seem like a big deal. It might not affect your present life, but I can guarantee you it's gonna affect your eternal life. When you enter in the grave and you go through the grave to, to exist for eternity, everything will hinge on where you are at with Jesus. And we talk about this all the time, that sin is a very real part of all of our lives. And sin, the very nature of sin, is it separates us from God. And if we exist through this life, into the grave, through the grave, separated from God, we will be eternally separated from God, which is just a terrible conscious reality of hell. And I know that some of you are thinking, Rob, don't do it. Don't talk about hell. You did that on Christmas Eve and it was awkward. I brought a friend today. It's scary. You're like, you know what I mean? Like, but here's what I'll tell you guys, two things. Number one, because if we don't talk about hell, we can't really appreciate Jesus. And hell, yes, it is scary. And it's supposed to be scary, so you don't want to go there. It's a very real thing. And I need to talk to you about this. I need you to know that hell is a real place. But Jesus is really good. And I need you to know how much Jesus loves you, how he lived for you, how he died for you, how he rose for you, how he made a way for you, how he gives you everything through faith. And you just need to know that if you don't love Jesus, guys, you're separated from him. And that sin is a very real problem, but Jesus is the only answer. And you need to know that. And I'd be a really bad pastor and a really unloving Christian if I didn't tell you that the problem is sin and the answer is Jesus. And this is why Paul ends his letter the way that he does. And look at verse 23. He doesn't just stop with this curse. He actually says, here's the way out. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so we're all sinful. The curse of sin is real, but there's a way for this curse to be lifted. And guess what? Guys, it's all about Jesus.
Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus. And I'll tell you what, guys, I, if you've been coming around Doxa for a while, you know I talk about the grace of the Lord Jesus all the time. I'm like on repeat. And you're like, do you ever get tired of talking about that? No. Ever since I became a Christian, like some 15 years ago, I have never gotten tired of talking about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never. And I'm never going to stop. Every night I tuck my kids in the bed, I sing the same song every single day. Jesus loves me. And I sing that. I'm having worship services in my kids' rooms every single night. And I look at my daughter, Lily. I look at Titus. And I'm like, you know that Jesus loves you. Yes, Dad, you tell me all the time. Because it's true. And I tell them, Jesus does love you. Jesus was born for you. Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. And that is true, not just for my kids, not for the Christian, but for all of you here. Regardless of where you're at, you need to know that Jesus has brought you here today to experience his love, not to examine it, but to experience it, to come to him in faith so he could change everything. That the John 3.16, the famous verse that so many people know, it's on the guy's belly at the Packers game, right? It's just like that could become a reality for you. That God so loved you that he sent his only son, Jesus, that if you believe in him, that you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. Guys, and it's grace. And you might be thinking about your life and they're like, Rob, but you don't know me. You don't know how jacked up I am. You don't know me and how jacked up I am. And it's not about you. It's about Jesus. You're like, it doesn't make sense. I know, it's grace. That's why we sing so much. That's why we have so much fun. It's grace. It's not about you. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And because it is finished, that means you're not. And so my invitation to you, guys, I would implore you, I would beg you, if you have not come to Jesus, you need Jesus. This is what Paul was saying of first importance. You need Jesus. This is why you're here today. It's grace. And I know that this grace is real. Have you experienced the grace of the Lord Jesus? Has the grace of the Lord Jesus changed your life, changed your heart? Are you experiencing the grace of God even today, changing you and making you different? Guys, I assure you that the grace of Jesus is real because he is faithful and there is no one like him. And Paul ends with pointing us to the grace of Jesus. And then he says, I love you. Doxa, that's how I'll close up 1 Corinthians. Keep it about Jesus. I love you, and I'm honored to be walking with you in the everyday stuff of life here in Madison.